Hello, this is indeed UU Todd Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest, and you're, in fact, listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. Yes, it's me, Utah Phillips here, I am with Steve Baker, who's once again twirling the knobs and pushing the slides. The music is the Borsdorfs there, um, interrupted briefly by Dan Scanlon, an old friend here in Nevada City, a student, a scholar of the ukulele, uh, playing his uh, rendition of Aloha Oi, since that's going to be the gist of today's program, for which I would like to thank very much uh, the, the ace record finder, Glenn Howard, who has never bailed out on me once. Everything I've asked for, he's been able to find. I have these residual memories of recordings from my childhood, my boyhood, or heard somewhere, and I, I just give him the barest hint, and he goes out and finds it. Um, also, I'd like to thank the, uh, the wonderful people at KKCR on the island of Kauai, um, who sent me uh, things about the sovereignty movement that I, of which I was completely unaware. And, of course, thanks to Dan Scanlon, who has brought me up to date on um, the history of, well, of a lot of different things. Uh, in the Foothills of the Sierra Nevada, we call them Foothills, of course, because it's spelled that way. Nevada City now, of course, today, this is Sunday here. I don't care much what time it is when you're listening to this or when. This is Sunday, and in Nevada City, uh, and this is our own Mardi Gras called Joe Kane Day. This is a day when the town goes legally berserk, and in the evening hours, finally subsiding into an alcoholic torpor. Wow. Hawaii. Yes, it was in... January of 1780, 1778, it was. Uh, the Hawaiians were going about their business. Uh, they were uh, eating taro root or well, they were um, fishing, uh, whatever Hawaiians did. And they looked up and discovered Captain Cook. Now, Captain Cook, of course, was laboring under the illusion that uh, he had discovered them. But then that was the time, the imperial age, when, when Christianity had driven, had, had drawn a, an illuminated circle, a circle of light around Europe, that pimple sticking out of the bud of Asia, this circle of light, and everything in the bask in that light was known and understood, and everything else was dark and unknown and waiting to be discovered. Aha. So Europeans spread out like ants, like larvae, like cockroaches, and, and sort of uh, took over the world, took over every piece a territory that wasn't nailed down, kind of um, uh, muscled everybody who got in the way, uh, offering the dubious benefits of civilization, and of course, 
always waving that ridiculous book. Well, nonetheless, Captain Cook was warmly welcomed to Hawaii. Of course, the, the greeting deteriorated fairly rapidly. Captain Cook lost his life as a consequence of that. But when he came ashore, probably the first thing he heard was um, an ole. It's a, it's a chant, the, the hale mai. It's a call for the multitudes to assemble in the presence of the, of the chiefs. Let's listen to it. dancing upon the silver waves, his feet lightly tripping over the froth, his flesh glistening with the wild sea spray blowing. He came with laughter shining in his eyes, wreathed in golden blossoms, his loins girded with mountain vines, and in his hair were ferns of the valleys, fragile and fragrant. He was Laka, the golden youth, the forever young, the child of beauty. And Laka called upon the ocean, upon the deep waters flowing, Raise up for me the songs of the sea, that I might hear them again, And remember in my heart how sing the ocean tides. Out of the very depths of you, raise up for me a song and sing to me. Tell me of the ancient lands that are no more, that have vanished into the deeps of thee. Tell me of the lost shores that are departed from the face of earth to be seen no more. Tell me who sleeps in the dark bosom of thee. O oh, thou many islands that sail the breast of the ocean of these great waters that are the sea of Kanaloa, of Kanaloa who is the god, the brother of Kane and of Ku, of Kanaloa who sustaineth life, O oh, thou island of Hawaii, sing to me, sing to me. And when Laka was done, he sat in silence and brooded over the days that were to come, he looked upon the morrows that were to come. He looked upon the distant dawns that had not as yet arisen out of the sea. He looked upon them, and he wept. Ah, 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 ah,
Well, what I read there was a part of the creation story. And what you just heard was uh, Hula Pahu. Uh, it's about the, uh, the pillars that support the sky. Well, let's fast forward a little bit and find out what I've got to do with all this. Here's a, a kid during the Second World War, freezing in Dayton, Ohio, three, four feet of snow on the ground in a flat-top duplex. Uh, my father worked over at the Army Air Corps base. And um, a book falls into my hands from the, our little school library up in the, the center part of the village. And the book is had I, it attracted me is had a palm tree on the front, which seemed exotic to me considering where I was. The name of the book was uh, The Memory Room. It was by Don Blanding, called The Hawaii Poet. Well, he was not a real great poet. I'm sure he meant what he had to say, but um, it was a style of poetry that you wouldn't call great, but nonetheless did grip me in my situation. He wrote things like um, Hawaiian Driftwood. Some of us drift to these shores on the trade winds, drift here to linger, the days slip along, autumn and summer, the spring and the winter pass like the uncounted notes of a song. Some of our hearts find their roots and blossom harder each day to depart if one lingers. Hours and days and the months and the seasons trickle like water and sand through our fingers. Don Blanding. But of course, what, what arrested my attention in the book was the front piece, which was a photograph of Don Blanding in a double-breasted white Palm Beach suit, standing on the pontoon of one of those great China Clipper seaplanes, obviously getting ready to be transported to Manila and um, uh, Yokohama and places too fierce to mention. Well, if you were a kid freezing in Dayton, Ohio during the Second World War, wouldn't that just tickle your imagination? I, my, one of my great dreams is still somehow to fly on a China Clipper across the Pacific. They had bunks on those things, you know, in a galley uh, for cooking food. Well, it was the romance, you know, moving from the reality of Hawaii. I grew up with the myth of Hawaii, of the trade winds and the bending palm trees. I've told you before about my crystal set, uh, lying in bed at night under the covers, so I couldn't be seen because I had a flashlight. And I had my crystal set with the antenna out through the, a hole in the screen hooked to an apple tree. And I would pop the cat hair around on that germanium crystal. You didn't know what you were going to get. There were little hills and valleys there. You didn't know what was going to come, come up. Occasionally, quite occasionally, I would pick up this uh, program called um, Hawaii Calls or Hawaii Calling. I can't remember which, quite which one it was. And there would be this dim, crackly voice. And it would say something like, And now from the veranda of the Royal Hawaiian Hotel, overlooking the beach at Waikiki, um, we bring you, and then they would play the music of some prominent band that was playing in Hawaii, like this one.
Oh, yes, King Benny Nawahi, uh, playing the uh, the Hawaiian steel guitar there. And that's what I was listening to over the radio, uh, uh, freezing under my blankets. Now, that Hawaiian steel guitar, that's a lap, uh, that's a guitar, regular guitar, with the nut raised and the bridge raised so the strings are high off of the fingerboard, it lays down in your lap, and you run uh, a steel bar up and down there, um, and, and it's called slide guitar. Uh, Hawaiian steel guitar was invented, they, they say, about in the 1880s, either by Gabriel Davion, who was from India, or Joseph Kekuku, who was a student at Kamehameha School. Now, Kekuku used a jackknife or the back of a comb to slide it up and down. The open tuning, it's tuned to an open chord there, um, was, they got that from the Hawaiian cowboys, who got it from Mexican vaqueros who came over in the 1830s to work on the on the ranches in Hawaii. And, of course, they brought over that G-tuning, which I guess is called um, uh, a fandango tuning. So the, the two c- come together there, and uh, you wind up with the Hawaiian steel guitar. The, um, Irene West, it was Irene West and the Royal Hawaiians in 1910 that uh, toured the United States for the first time and brought that music here for the first time. By 1916, sort of the beginning of the recorded era, Hawaiian music sold more music than any other kind of music in the United States. And the the, uh, traditional lap steel grew into the uh, pedal steel guitar, and also, it gave Black Delta Blues the jackknife and the bottleneck style of, of playing. Uh, American music owes a great debt to Hawaiian music after the turn of the century, and one that has never been completely acknowledged. Well, let's listen to, let's listen to another one of those bands from that era uh, that I would hear coming over from Hawaii Calls. This one, I think, will be a surprise to you. By the waters of Kalua, beneath Hawaiian skies, I fell in love with you. Mm, on a little bamboo bridge by the waters of Kalua, we found a paradise. Oh, paradise for two While we were gazing in the water The silver ripples kissed the shore And your reflections in the water Seem to say you'll be mine forevermore mm, On a little bamboo bridge by the waters of Kalua, you made my dreams come true, sweetheart, when I found you. Thank you. 
in the water seem to say you'll be mine forevermore oh on the bamboo bridge by the waters of Kalua you made my dreams come true sweetheart when I found you Baba that didn't there Well, now, that gives you an idea of the popularity of Hawaiian music. Louis Armstrong was fascinated with Hawaiian music and had his own Hawaiian orchestra once called Louis Armstrong and his Polynesians on a little bamboo bridge. Uh, well, now, I I tried, I tackled the, the steel guitar, you know. I, I could take a pencil and run it under the strings of the guitar on the first fret to raise the strings up. I could never hold on to the damn bar. I'd drop it on my foot, I'd drop it on the floor, I'd drop it in the hole on the guitar and, and, and try to get one of those out. Um, and besides which, you know, you listen to something like Tickling the Strings, that, that Benny Nawahi, and that's pretty complicated. That's single-string music. You don't even hear that on the steel guitar here in, uh, uh, in country music these days. The only thing left for me was the ukulele. Hmm, that seemed simpler, easy to tune. Four strings. My dog has fleas. Uh, ukulele. Again, an instrument from someplace else. 1879, it was Manuel Nunes. He was from the island of Madeira, Portuguese islands in the Atlantic. Um, in his 1879, he was an instrument, instrument maker. He migrated to Hawaii. There he combined the features of the Briguinha and the Rajao. Uh, two, two Portuguese instruments to create the ukulele. It was created. His granddaughter, Flora Fox, uh, was among the Hawaiians who brought the uke to us. And, uh, well, she performed at the Pan Pacific Exposition in 1915. And it was that exposition which popularized and started the first craze, uh, the first wave of, of ukuleles um, all over the country. Oh, and it still is. Uh, I think that the first time I ever heard the ukulele being played, though, was again on the radio, and it was it was old uh, ukulele Ike. Um, well, let's listen to the, probably the first song I ever heard played on the ukulele and sung was by Ukulele Ike. You're going to recognize this voice because uh, it's the voice of Jiminy Cricket in um, the, the, the movie Pinocchio, the song of old Hawaii. There's a perfume of a million flowers clinging to the heart of old Hawaii. There's a rainbow following the showers bringing me a part of old Hawaii. There's a silver moon 
a symphony of stars There's a hula tune And the hum of soft guitars There's a trade wind Sighing in the heavens Singing me a song of old Hawaii Yes, there's a perfume Of a million flowers Clinging to the heart of old Hawaii There's a rainbow Following the showers Bringing me a part Of old Hawaii There's a silver moon A symphony of stars There's a hula tune And the hum of soft guitars There's a trade wind Sighing in the heavens Singing me a song Of old Hawaii again that was that was Kenny Hall you're not you're not accustomed to that being used as intermission music but that's Kenny Hall playing the Hilo March uh, a Hawaiian favorite Kenny knows knows all things any kind of music you want Kenny can play it well there I was now with my ukulele uh, the first one I was a, I was part of the second Arthur Godfrey ukulele craze uh, my first ukulele had a little plastic box or a Melmac box on the top three frets uh, was strapped there with buttons on it, and I could push it down and make three or four chords. Uh, it's called cheating. And, but I got tired of that, and pretty soon, yeah, I learned how to make my ukulele chords, and then I learned my beach boy stroke and my forward roll and my back roll and, um, and all those sorts of things. And I learned from, uh, I learned from people like May Sengi Breen, a ukulele Ike, of course, um, there were Ora Pate Stewart in Salt Lake who taught the ukulele and had a ukulele show on the radio there uh, um, all during the 40s. And, um, well, of course, there was Roy Smeck, too. 
Um, now, this the music I was moving into then, I may sing you breed in those. Those were ukulele solos. That's where there is a chord for every damn note. And I remember that, that ukulele chord book that Ukulele Ike put out, page after page of every kind of chord you can imagine, augmented chords, demolished chords, chords where you'd have to go to a chiropractor to get your fingers unbraided when you're done trying to play them. But I got so I could climb around on that neck pretty good. I finally had to get a baritone uke because uh, it, it was easier to finger. The frets were too close together on the little one. I got a baritone uke. And I got pretty good on the waltz you saved for me and Charmaine, a song from the First World War. But then all the Erzats Hawaiian music, Malahini Mele and lovely hula hands. Mama don't want no peas, no rice, no coconut oil. Ha! I wanted ultimately, to be able to play the ukulele like this. Alfredo can open on the beach at Waikiki. I didn't quite make it. I didn't. No, I never got to where I could could play it that fast or that accurately. Isn't that wonderful? Well, yeah, that was Alfredo Canopen on the beach at Waikiki. Well, to this point, you know, I've talked about a kid and his myths, a kid and his dreams of palm trees during a cold Ohio winter. His dream of getting away, of going away, of crossing the Pacific Ocean. Um, and I'm willing to absorb any kind of mythology that's going to reinforce that. It's only in later years, when I left Utah and got around banging into the world, that I found the other Hawaii, the real Hawaii. The Hawaii, Hawaii that is so deep and so rich and so vigorously oppressed by commercialism, by gringoism. There was a young fellow that came through Salt Lake a long, long time ago by the name of Mike McClellan. Now, he had been a fine fiddler during the folk revival, but had an accident that ruined his hand, and he was on hard times. He used to board over at Rosalie Sorrell's place. 
They passed through town a number of times, and then when I left Utah in 69, I lost track of him. It was some years later that an LP showed up in the mail. I was surprised it caught up with me. And sure enough, it was the Life of the Land record, Mike and Lorna McClellan, and it was from Hawaii, uh, part of the of the emerging ecology movement. This is in the 1970s. Um, the record is on the Top Soil, Top Soil Music, which is Mike's label, and it was a fundraiser for Life of the Land, an environmental research and action group in the state of Hawaii, uh, engaged in legal action to bring about the enforcement of existing anti-pollution laws, and same thing we're trying to do here on the mainland. And this uh, record was made as a fundraiser for it. I want to and this also introduces the slack key guitar. When I was going to youth camp, uh, I've told you this before, hand to God, Jewish youth camp, Camp Yeladim, at the Methodist College out for the summer. My camp counselor was a Japanese Hawaiian, Tetsuo Okada, who ran this French bakery up on 13th East called Pierrot's. And I said, I want to learn to play the guitar. And he gave me a guitar, and, but he tuned it into a slack key, tuned it into a monoloa G. And I thought that that's how a guitar was tuned. It's only when I, you know, bummed up to Yellowstone National Park, the guys on the road crew showed me how to make the, the chords properly, how to tune the guitar properly, and then adapt my, my ukulele chords for the, for the guitar. What you're going to hear is a slack key, Mike and Lorna McClellan, an old love song from the Hilo region of the island of Hawaii. The images in it are the, the uu or o'o bird, the yellow feathers found in the famous Hawaiian featherwork. Well, the bird was thought to be extinct everywhere, but in 1971, a pair was photographed in a nest on the Alakai region of the island of Kauai. Now, the causes of the bird's disappearance were the usual, disease, foreign disease, the destruction of the environment by foreign plant-eating animals. Like, for instance, in 1961, the black-tailed deer was released on Kauai um, and was gradually gnawing its way toward the Alakai Peninsula. Um, now, I don't know if it made it. You know, uh, this is an older, this record might be 20 years old. Uh, somebody write me or call me and tell me if those birds have managed to propagate themselves. Uh, anyway, uh, Mike and Lorna McClellan, The Life of the Land record. Uh, let's listen to Manuo'o. <laughs>
Mike and Lorna McClellan, and a beautiful song. Now, you know, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce words here uh, because I've hardly ever heard them spoken. I'm also going to get place names and things like that out of order, uh, and that's because I'm trying to do, as I do everything, trying to do it from memory. That's as we age, we keep our memory skills sharp, don't we? So if I get things scrambled a little bit, that's, uh, that's probably the reason, because I'm trying to, trying to summon it all up, dredge it all up uh, from the reaches of my past. I always thought I was a fairly astute political observer. Uh, I read the alternative press. I always listen to the alternative radio, of course, uh, community stations wherever I've been in the country. And I thought I was pretty well caught up on movements. It's only lately uh, that, uh, mainly because of Erica Wilcox on Kauai, that um, I discovered the, uh, the reinstated government of the Kingdom of Hawaii, that there is a reinstated government. Uh, you can find out about them, by the way, at their website, www.reinstated.org. Um, yeah, the, the government never gave up. You know, when, it was, when the place was, uh, was um, conquered, actually, through a coup in 1893, the government was simply in exile. It, it was uh, taken over illegally. Um, but they did reconstitute a new government. Uh, I have the Constitution in hand here. Uh, the preamble, whereas the Kingdom of Hawaii, having been in exile for 107 years due to an unlawful overthrow of its government de jure, has exercised perfect right to reestablish its proper station as an independent nation within the community of nations. So, yes, they have created a government. I last week sat down and picked up the phone, and I called Hawaii, and I had, I had the opportunity to speak to and to interview Mr. Henry Noah, who's the communications director for the reinstated government of Hawaii. Well, now, I think what I would like, um, first of all, uh, Mr. Noah, some background on, uh, some historical background from, say, Kamehameha III and the first constitution in 1840 to annexation in 1896. Could you fill us in on that? Sure. Well, um, I, I think, first of all, what we need to understand is uh, Hawaii uh, was once an independent nation. Unfortunately, in 1893, uh, several US, United States uh, citizens who were a part of the United States and also citizens that was uh, naturalized into Hawaii's country uh, decided that they wanted to take total control over the islands. And in turn, what they did was they overthrew our monarchy, you know, and, and that was our sovereignty also. And uh, at the time, it was Queen Liliuokalani who was in charge. And since that period of time, we, the uh, Aboriginal people here, have been trying to restore our sovereignty and our regain our independence. Uh, it has been difficult, only because that uh, you know America certainly is a powerful nation, and we have found it quite difficult in trying to work matters out. But what happened is that in 1993, uh, United States Congress and the President of the United States signed an apology resolution, a joint resolution. And that triggered the uh, efforts on, on behalf of our Aboriginal people here to reinstate that inherent sovereignty that was never relinquished. And this is uh, mentioned in that document. I think it would be useful uh, for our listeners for me to uh, cite uh, a paragraph from that. 
sure. Uh, from uh, 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 Public Law Number 103-150, the indigenous Hawaiian people never directly relinquished their claims to their inherent sovereignty as a people over their national lands to the United States, either through their monarchy or through a plebiscite or referendum, unquote. And that, of course, was the law that was signed, uh, signed by uh, President Bill Clinton. So they acknowledge it, uh, just like uh, wasn't it President Grover Cleveland who told Congress that the takeover was illegal? That's correct. So that was the genesis then of the reinstatement movement was the public law. That's correct. Well, actually, it's it, you know you got to realize that we uh, the process started on the, on the day of the overthrow, but we didn't get the uh, support from uh, United States uh, Congress or the president to assist us. You know, you got to realize that uh, we're not a big population. We're not a big nation, you know, and uh, it, it took time to mature. And what ended up happening after the apology bill is that it only heightened the awareness. You know, it finally gave uh, p public recognition as to what really happened in Hawaii and how the inherent sovereignty has that natural right to reinstate itself to begin the process to restore its political authority over the islands, and to begin reinstating other independent facets of, of a government. So what we have been doing since 1980, I mean 1993 is that we have been constructing and setting down our reinstated Hawaiian government. Which includes uh, a legislative body and uh, a judiciary we, and so on, executive yeah. branch. We, uh, we, we, de we definitely had to fulfill some of the basic requirements of, a, of being a nation, and one of it was we began a citizenship drive, you know, uh, signing on people who wish to be a part of our nation in a repatriation and naturalization process. And then out of these uh, citizens who have signed on, then we began the process of establishing temporary offices to serve the government, and then uh, just this past uh, November uh, 1999, we were able to conduct a plebiscite, yeah, a nationwide plebiscite for those that had signed on. And it was after that plebiscite that now we had elected offices, officers to serve in the legislative assembly. And we currently now have a full, full staff government functioning within Hawaii, and we are beginning to open up diplomatic ties with other countries, at least opening up the dialogue, and we're definitely in getting to a point in full stride. What kind of statement, since this the, the struggle that you've been going through is so obscured mm -hmm. uh, and has such a low profile in American mass media, now you're talking to a whole collection of community stations, community radio stations all over the United States. What statement would you make to the listeners of those about the struggle? What can we do to assist in this effort? Well, first of all, I think what everybody needs to understand is that, one, uh, uh, we in Hawaii, yeah, the Hawaiian people, yeah, we, we have been placed in, in an unfair situation, in an unfair position. And uh, basically, many of us are in this movement to make the change for justice. Not to mention that many of our properties that belong to our government are currently being used yeah, by the United States government. And so, some properties, they're actually paying $1 a year or the, one of the most valuable properties that we have. And all I'm asking, you know, the people of the United States is, listen, I, I believe that if we're standing on democracy, we're standing on justice, 
I can't see any difference for the Hawaiian people here in Hawaii. You know, I, I do believe that we did have treaties uh, between the United States government and our, our country, and that these treaties are still written, you know, they haven't been dissolved, and it's about freedom, friendship, commerce, and navigation. So I think it's a matter of respect, you know, and, and I, I truly believe that many people in America didn't understand the plight of Hawaiians, you know, and now that we are stepping out, we can only ask them to support us yeah, by simply stating, you know what, I believe that it's time that we make this adjustment and we, we do what is right.
All Hawaii stand together. Uh, Israel Kamakawi Wa'ole. Uh, one of many sovereignty songs that were sent to me by uh, the radio station KKCR in Kauai. Well, I want to thank you very much for letting me wander through my own recollections from the deep past up to the present, uh, taking my own path as I always do. I'd like to fade this out on perhaps my, my favorite of the Hawaiian melodies, uh, Mark Nelson and Issa Lei. has been you, Utah Phillips, the aforementioned golden voice of the great Southwest, and you've been listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. Mahalo. Thank you.